And good morning to all. I would just like to add my welcome to the many welcomes you've already received. My name is Pastor Jim Olson, and it has been my privilege to serve here as the senior pastor of Bethel for 22 years now. So it is just, it's good. It's good. The Lord is good. And he is faithful. And he he is faithful in every area of our lives. We have found that to be true. My wife and I moved up here after we got married nearly 29 years ago, uh, attended this church when we moved up here, and then moved up to Kettle River, Minnesota, where we served for five and a half years. And uh, my wife was an advanced analyst at 3M, and we moved up to my first pastorate making a whopping $200 a week, which even that long ago wasn't a lot. But um, God was faithful every single time. There was stuff at the door. There was stuff in our car. People brought us produce, meat, whatever we ate. We never went hungry. God was faithful. He's always been faithful. And he always will be faithful. Because guess what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So um, so God is good. And uh, I am uh, just so grateful for his faithfulness. I just, the, the longer I live and the older I get and the more that I see, the more grateful I am for his goodness in our lives. Well, this is 2012 and at Bethel, it's a year to dream. And uh, every year I have the opportunity to present a sort of prophetic theme word for the year. And this year, That word is dreaming, and we just completed last week on Easter Sunday morning, oh my goodness, what a glorious celebration, we completed um, a sermon series that we did during the Lenten season called Living the Dream, and um, if you'd like to get a hold of any of the CDs from that series, they are located in the back, back there, along with the PowerPoints. You can also go to our website at any time and download uh, those and I would encourage you to do so. There was just it was a wonderful uh, exploration of the life of Joseph and uh, one of the great characters of Scripture. And we just had a wonderful time together last week, finishing with fifty twenty vision, fifty twenty dream vision. And if you want to know what fifty twenty dream vision is, you're going to have to get the CD or you're going to have to download the message. But I know that it'll be an encouragement to your heart. Well, this morning, we are going to begin a new sermon series entitled Daring Do. Now, Pastor Sam and I spend a fair amount of time crafting things, and we spent a fair amount of time discovering the name for this series. And I want to find out if there's anybody here who gets the pun that's connected to our sermon series title. Does anybody know? Is anybody familiar? Can anybody shout it out? Sermon points available here. Daring do. Okay, way in the back. All right. Talk to me. Andrew, I'm jumping. I'm happy. Thank you. Yes. You have to be of a certain vintage, I think, to know these things. We asked our, I asked our lit apprentices. I asked the lit apprentices who are our, we have 10 apprentices between the ages of 19 and 24. 
what daring do meant. And they all looked at me like deer in the headlights. Daring do. Adventuresome. Courageous. It's actually even spelled slightly different because it's D-E-R-R-I-N-G, do. But it is actually a word. I looked it up in my Webster Dictionary this morning. So it's even there. And it means daring to do. Now, I grew up, and this is going to really date me, in a time when there were only four television stations. CBS, ABC, NBC, and in Chicago, WGN. And we had one television. It was black and white. We didn't watch TV very much. But I still remember when I was a kid that I, and and Annette and I were talking about this, and maybe somebody else will remember, whether it was Saturday afternoons or Sunday afternoons, was it Sunday afternoon? I don't know, but I don't know if we watch TV on Sunday afternoon. Anyway, but Fraser Thomas, family classics, okay? Fraser Thomas came on, and he sat in an armchair with a fire behind him and a nice lamp and sort of a library-looking thing, and he'd sit there, and he would tell us about the movie that we were going to see. And inevitably, it was a movie that had daring do was a part. I mean, it was Robin Hood. It was King Arthur. It was always some kind of great classic where there were great exploits for some kingdom. Something was going on, and it was lots and lots of deeds of daring do. So I've always been drawn ever since, you know, those things get printed on your head. And so, you know, I've always been drawn to stories of daring do. And over the next eight weeks or so, we're going to be looking at some stories in Scripture of daring do. Now, you can notice on the front of your bulletin, there is the... Um, along with this, there's a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. We have a daughter, Eleanor, not named after Eleanor Roosevelt, but, you know, Eleanor was a strong woman, all right? And I love this quote. She says, the world needs dreamers, the world needs doers, but most of all, the world needs dreamers who are doers. And so we've been talking about the last eight weeks or so. We were talking about living the dream. Well, now we're going to be talking, we're going to kind of press in just a little bit deeper over these next weeks into um, some biblical characters who are going to lead us into daring do. Romans 15.4 tells us that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. All of these things that are written in scripture for us and the stories of the great men and women of the Bible are not there just to be interesting artifacts for us to all look at and go, isn't that interesting? They are written for our instruction to teach us and to develop within us endurance and encouragement so that we will have hope in the midst of the circumstances that you and I are facing. Sitting in a room like this, I know that some of you are facing circumstances. 
that are probably bigger or more difficult or challenging than you seem at this moment to even have the strength or endurance to get through. But today, and in these eight weeks, there's going to be words of encouragement. They're going to hopefully put some wind underneath your wings so that you will soar. As the Bible says, those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. I believe the Lord is going to enable us to fly, to run, to walk with him into deeds of daring do. All right, so this morning we're going to be looking at Abraham, and then here are some of the other folks we're going to be looking at. Just a little little teaser here for you. We're going to be looking at life of Gideon. We're going to be looking at Hannah. We're going to be looking at David. We're going to be looking at Mary. We're going to be looking at Peter, Paul. I told... Pastor Sam, we should have done it, Peter, Paul, and Mary, but we're doing it, Mary, Peter, and Paul. Okay, anyway. And the church leaders in Rome. You'll have to wait till all the way to June 3rd to find out what that's about, but we're going to be looking at these men and women of faith and faithfulness who are doing deeds of daring do. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis. The book of beginnings, and, and you'll notice that all of these actually were, were kind, of, kind of walking through historically through the scriptures. So we actually, the four on the left, the Old Testament, four on the right are in the New Testament. Of course, there's lots of other people that we could be looking at, but these are the eight that we've chosen. They're going to take us and lead us through this discovery. All right. So I'm going to begin... In Genesis chapter 11, starting with verse 26. And the very exciting, oh, I love hearing that rustle of pages. If you, have, if you don't have your Bible with you, please pull out one that's in front of you uh, in the uh, you know, seat rack right there um, and go to the very first thing and that'll be great. All right, first book. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And this is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans. In the land of his birth, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no children. Verse 31, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Now, 
I don't know how many times, of course, I've read the book of Genesis numbers of times, and I've referenced Genesis 12 probably countless times. And we're going to get to Genesis 12 in a moment and the call that happens on Abram's life. But in order to understand the call that happens on Abram's life, it's also significant that we understand the context for that call. And the context for that call comes back for us here in Genesis chapter 11 and specifically in seeing the um, the, the family context and, and what happens for uh, in, in Abram's family and specifically for his father, Terah. Look at that one more time. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out. Now listen to this. They set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Now, up until a couple of years ago, I'd never noticed that. I never realized that Abram's family, Abram, who we will know as Abraham, that Abraham's family, that his father was actually on his way to Canaan. Did you notice that? I I had never noticed that before. Sometimes very familiar scriptures, you just read them and they pass right over your head. But, But there was a a trajectory here for this family that was intended to bring them. They had set out to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and died in Think about the trajectory of your life for a moment, or maybe your family's life. And the calling of God and the purposes of God and the destiny of God for your life. Now remember, in the Old Testament, a lot of that was connected with geography and land. And so a lot of the times when we're talking about destiny and calling and all of those things and kingdoms, we're talking about geography and place. When we come to the New Testament, we need to make a transition in our minds from sort of a geography of place to an internal geography of place to the leading and purposes of God that are taking us and moving us forward, not necessarily in terms of geography, but in terms of destiny. Again, we're not talking about destinations. We're talking about destinies. But here, I think we're given a cautionary tale. And the cautionary tale that we are given when we see that when they came to Haran, they settled there. The caution to us this morning that I hear rise up in my spirit, and I almost entitled the message this, but we're going to come back to it later as well, is don't settle. Don't settle. 
Don't settle. Tara chose to settle for something less, something else than what God had intended and purposed. He was on a trajectory, he was going somewhere, but he settled. Now we come to Genesis 12. And Genesis 12 says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will, whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, and the Lord had told him, and Lot went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out from the land, for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, this is so simple that, again, you can overlook it. But if you're going to get to a destiny, to a destination that God has given, if you're going to arrive there, you've got to do something other than settle where you are. Now, who's got the authorized version here this morning? That would be the King James. Who's got a King James? Anybody got a King James? Oh, Nico, I love you. All right. So, tell me. You got it with you right here, right now? Genesis 12. All right. Let's look at uh, verse verse 1. All right. Read, read verse 1 for me here. All right. Now the Lord has said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and unto the land that I will show thee. All right. What does he say there? Get thee out of thy country. The NIV kind of makes it real nice. Leave your country. But I kind of like the King James here. What the King James basically says is, get out. <laughs> So that's what I've entitled the message this morning, is get out. Get thee out of thy country. In other words, get a move on. Move out. Now for Abraham, that was a physical, geographical place context. For us, it's an internal movement within us that says, again, I'm not going to settle for less, and I'm not going to settle for something else. I'm going to get out, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to move out for what God has. Because if you are going to do deeds of daring do, you're going to have to get out. Out of your comfort zone. Out of the comfortable, familiar, the place. And you know what? The older I get, the more 
I want to settle. How about you? Anybody else want to settle? I think the older we get, the more there is a strong temptation to settle. But the word of the Lord to you this morning is, don't settle, get out. Get out. All right. A couple of scriptures here. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. This is scriptures about Abram who did get out. It says, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Gergesites, and all the otherites. And you have kept your promise. Listen to this. You've kept your promise because you're righteous. God is faithful. Abraham had a faithful heart, but his faithful heart was in response to the faithfulness of God. Galatians 3, 6-9. Consider Abraham. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So this is going to answer a critical question that you and I are asking, that I'm asking this morning, is how on earth am I going to find the courage to get out? What do I need internally in my spirit in order to compel me out from the settled place that I naturally want to be in? And the answer is by faith. By faith, we become children of Abraham, both in the sense of our salvation, of course, we're grafted in, and I mean... Paul's talking there about uh, salvation for the Gentiles, and it's all in that context. I understand that. But also by faith, we're like children of Abraham who are willing, available, and able to get out. All right? There we go. So, Let's unpack that just a little bit more. What is faith? Can you come with me now? We've been in Genesis 12. Now we're going to go over to the New Testament. And I'm going to bring you to Hebrews chapter 11. Which is known as the great chapter of faith and on faith. And here we're going to discover some things, because in this great hall of faith, Abraham is right there with a significant um, part of the story here in Hebrews 12. And so we're going to take a look at that and unpack this. But first of all, Hebrews chapter 11.1 says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
Here is a definition of faith given to us right in the Word. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, I see three things about faith here in this Scripture that I want to quickly mention to you. The first is this, that faith is substantial. In other words, it's not ephemeral, which means like a wisp of fog that you try to get a hold of and can't reach... Faith has substance. It is based in something. Our faith is not based in us. It's based in God. Faith is not a formula that somehow we recitate from within ourselves and if we just say it in the right way or say it often enough or loud enough that something's going to have to move in on our behalf. Faith is rooted. It has a substance And that substance is found in the heart and faithfulness and goodness of God. Hello? Okay, Warren's back, probably with the children's church, something. He's not here this morning. Somebody else is going to have to talk to me. Okay? Faith has substance. It is being sure. It is being certain. It's not wishful thinking. It has a foundation. Faith is seeing. We're going to talk about this more in a moment, so I won't spend a lot of time here. But it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's seeing beyond the specific circumstance that we're in. It is seeing something with the eyes of our spirit, not just simply with our human eyes. You can look around you, read your newspaper, watch the news, just watch your neighborhood, watch your own life, and you're going to see a lot of stuff. And some of that is going to dismay you and discourage you. How are you going to respond? Faith is seeing beyond the immediate circumstance to something deeper, bigger, further, wider, greater. And faith is stepping And this is where we get into Abraham's story more fully. It's a stepping. Faith requires, watch me now, come with me. Faith requires actually putting one foot in front of the other. That's a step. Faith requires stepping. Not a, you know, you you can't be rooted and settled in one spot hanging on for dear life. We're just hanging on till Jesus comes. I don't want to hang on till Jesus comes. I want to do deeds of daring do until Jesus comes. Stepping. All right. Now, got your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 11? I hope you do. Because here's what we're going to find out. We're going to look at what does this faith look like? What does faith look like? And here we're going to go to the story of Abram, Abraham, starting with verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Mm. 
Even though he didn't know where he was going. Now, I don't know about you, but in the day of MapQuest and GPS, man, I want to know where I'm going. Anybody else want to know where you're going? You know, it's just nice to know where you're going. But faith requires us at times we are called out to step out and go to places where we don't know where we're going. You've heard me say it countless times. The difference between change and transition is this. Change is doing what you already know how to do, just doing it in a different way. Where transition is being called to do what you don't know how to do. I believe the Church of Jesus Christ, most generally right now, and right here at Bethel Christian Fellowship, is being called into a season of transition where we're being called to do things that we don't know how to do. I don't know about you, but I don't know how to do some of the things I'm being called to do. I don't exactly know where I'm going, but I know that I've been called to go. So what does faith look like? Faith is obedience. Now here's what's interesting about obedience. The root word for obedience is the same word for hearing. Obedience literally means listening and doing. That is what it literally means. To listen and to do. Listening without doing is not obedience. We can listen to a lot of stuff, but if we don't do anything with it, it's not obedience. We think it is. We live in a culture where actually there's a word for it, and I can't remember what the word for it is right now, but there's a word for, for, for what we do culturally. We think if we know about something, we're actually doing something about it. But that's not reality. Obedience means listening and doing. Doing without listening is not obedience. Just going out there and just doing something, you know, might be okay, but it might get you in a lot of trouble as well. And it isn't the definition of obedience because to obey requires listening and doing. All right, let's go on. By faith, now we're in verse 9 and 10, we're just walking through. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He lived his life as a sojourner. And here's the thing about faith, is that faith is a journey. It isn't so much... The destination is the destiny. It's not so much the product of getting there as it is the process of going there. Now, this is hard for some of us. I'm a destination guy. When, when we're on vacation, my family, with I mean, I'm all about getting there. I just want to get there. You got to go hold it. Because we're getting there. We're going to get there. Okay? And this tenting thing, I'm not so much into that either. All right? I always say I'm going to go to the Boundary Waters as soon as they get that Sheraton built. But, um, but faith is a journey. And, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of making fun, a bit more exaggeration than it's true, but we do live in a culture where you can go somewhere and not really be there. 
Have you ever watched, have you ever looked at some of those motorhomes? Oh my gosh. Okay? You know, and they get the satellite dish. You know, they're in this beautiful out there, in the, you know, and there's this motorhome. And basically, you know, this ain't no tenting that any, you know, they're, they're just, they're still settled in their home. They've just changed location. But nothing's really changed. But if we're going to walk out and step out in faith, we're going to be going somewhere. And there's a journey, there's a trajectory again to our lives that's taking us from where we are to where He's taking us and where we're going. There is an ongoing movement. Now, it isn't always straightforward. If you looked at my life, you would, you know, I mean, it's like this. You know, I mean, it goes this way, that way. I, you know, God knows all the long cuts. He takes us on the long ways and around and the scenic tours and everything else because He's building into us something, character, wholeness. He's about what is best for us and that sometimes takes us in some different directions than we had expected to go. But it's okay because we're on the journey. All right, keep going. Hebrews 11, 11, and 12. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand of the seashore. Now, this tells us and speaks to us about faith as trusting. Now, Abraham struggled with this. Now, here's one of the things that I think sometimes we looked at Abraham and we look at these people in the scriptures and we say, man, they just got it immediately. They never went through any difficulties. They never were challenged in the sense of, man, they were just always had their trajectory going the right way and they knew exactly what they were doing. Abraham struggled. Go to Genesis chapter 15 for just a moment. God had spoken to Abraham, said, I'm going to give you descendants. And look at what happens in Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. A servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham wavered. I mean, you know, many years have already gone by since Genesis 12 to Genesis 15. And he's still waiting for this heir to come. And Sarah, things aren't happening. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. I think I'll just let this one. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to have you settle for less. I'm not going to have you settle for something else. I've made a promise. I'm faithful and I'm going to do it. That's trusting, people. Trust is learning to lean into and onto the faithfulness of God. And it's an ongoing process that will happen throughout our lives. I'm learning right now in this season 
new places of trusting that I've never had to learn before. Because at this stage and age and with whatever's all the different things going on in my life, I'm learning to trust Him more. More deeply, more fully. That's part of the journey of faith. It's part of how you get to do deeds of daring do. Right? Hebrews 11.13 All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Faith is far-sighted. Faith sees even beyond the measure of our years here on earth. I don't know how many stories I've heard of people. I mean, you know, people who prayed and prayed and prayed for something to happen. In their physical lifetime, they did not see the answers to those prayers. However, however, God is not a man that he should lie. (laughs) And when he has promised something to us, When he has given his word about something, he will be faithful to complete it. And some of that's going to happen beyond your lifetime. I am absolutely convinced that there are things that God has placed in my heart that are going to happen in the lives of my kids and grandkids. Beyond me, well beyond when I'm long gone, it isn't over. Faith is the bird that feels the light and sings to greet the dawn while it is still dark. Faith sees beyond the immediate circumstance, is able to look out beyond what you see right now. Faith is far-sighted. Faith has 50-20 vision. It understands That though the enemy means something for evil, God can turn that and reverse that and make it for good. Faith knows that the end of the story doesn't end on Good Friday and the waiting of Holy Saturday. But that Resurrection Day comes. One more. Hebrews 11, 17 and 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Let me cue you into something. I think you know this, but in case you've forgotten, let me remind you. Anytime God places a call upon your life, anytime that he gives you a particular destiny which you are going towards, it will be tested. And the larger the scope of influence of that destiny and calling is, the larger the testing will be. That's reality. And faith is persevering, remaining... The word persevere literally means, hypomeno, means to remain under. 
When the testing of God comes into your life, it is for the purpose of bringing purification and revelation of the deeper purposes that He has for you. And faith perseveres. Remains under the test, knowing that on the other side, God's firing up gold. Persevering is to remain under humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand because it says in Peter that those who remain under, who humble themselves in due time, they will be lifted up. So humble yourself under the Lord's testing. Remain under and persevere. It's getting hard. The heat's getting hot. God's up to something really good. Don't be surprised when you face troubles and trials of various kinds. Are you any different than any of the rest of the saints down through history and around the world? Do you think you're somehow unique and that you are going to be spared from that which all men experience because it is part of the process by which God builds faith and character and wholeness within us? I'm telling you, I'm always scared when I see people who have great calling and great destiny and and anointing on their lives who haven't experienced the brokenness and the humbling that comes from that being tested. Because God has to dismantle us in order to remantle us. Because it's not about you. And you've got to decrease so he can increase. All right. So how do we grow our faith? How do we grow our faith? Well, let's come back to Hebrews 11.6. We're going to go back just a little bit, a few verses. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. All right? So here we go. Three things. First of all, come to God. You are not going to get faith any other way. You're not going to get faith by drawing on another person. You can't, you know, you're not going to read yourself into it. You're not going to talk yourself into it. You're not going to, you know, whatever. The only way to do this, to build your faith, is actually come to God. I know it's startling. (laughs) But it's true. If you want to build faith, you've got to come to Him. Then, believe that He's there. Actually believe that He exists. Believe that the God of the universe, whom you are talking to but cannot see, is actually there. Because you see the evidence of His work all around you. And then trust that He will keep His word, that He will reward those who diligently seek Him. You can trust that He will keep His word. Many years ago, I ran across a great story. Ben Patterson writes about a time 25 years ago 
It's in, in his book called Waiting, and he writes, In 1988, three friends and I climbed Mount Lyell, the highest peak in Yosemite National Park. Two of us were experienced mountaineers. I was not one of the experienced two. Our base camp was less than 2,000 feet from the peak, but the climb to the top and back was to take the better part of a day, due in large part to the difficulty of the glacier one must cross to get to the top. The morning of the climb, we started out chattering and cracking jokes. As the hours passed, the two mountaineers opened up a wide gap between me and my less experienced companion. Being competitive by nature, I began to look for shortcuts to beat them to the top. This just sounds like me. All right. So I thought, I saw one to the right of an outcropping of rocks, so I went, deaf to the protests of my companion. Perhaps it was the effect of the high altitude, but the significance of the two experienced climbers not choosing this path did not register in my consciousness. It should have, for 30 minutes later, I was trapped in a cul-de-sac of rock atop the Lyle Glacier, looking down several hundred feet of a sheer slope of ice pushed, pitched at about a 45-degree angle. Does this sound familiar, sweetheart? We, we watched some uh, things. I, I love when the ranger says no. I say, well, I wonder. Okay. So um, we'll tell you about that story another time. All right. So I was only about 10 feet from the safety of the rock, but one little slip, and I wouldn't stop sliding until I landed in the valley floor some 50 miles away. It was nearly noon. It was nearly noon, sorry, and the warm sun had the glacier glistening with slippery ice. I was stuck and I was scared. It took an hour for my experienced climbing friends to find me. Standing on the rock I wanted to reach, one of them leaned out and used an ice axe to chip two little footsteps in the glacier. Then he gave me the following instructions. Ben, you must step out from where you are and put your foot where the first foothold is. When your foot touches it, without a moment's hesitation, swing your other foot across and land it on the next step. And when you do that, reach out and I will take your hand and pull you to safety. Now that sounded really good to me. But it was the next thing that he said that made me more frightened than ever. But listen carefully as you step across... Do not lean into the mountain. If anything, lean out a bit. Otherwise, your feet may fly out from under you and you will start sliding down. Now, I don't like prepuces. When I'm on the edge of a cliff, my instincts are to lie down and hug the mountain. To become one with it. Not to lean away from it. But that was what my good friend was telling me to do. I looked at him really hard. Was there any reason, any reason at all, that I should not trust him? I certainly hope not. So for a moment, based solely on what I believed to be the goodwill and good sense of my friend, I decided to say no to what I felt to stifle my impulse, to cling to the security of the mountain, to lean out, step out, and traverse the ice to safety. It took less than two seconds to find out if my faith was well-founded. And it was. 
to save us, God often tells us to do things that are the opposite of our natural inclination. Is God loving and faithful? Can we trust him? He is. And we can. So. Get out. Don't settle for anything less than his blessing. And don't settle for anything else than being a blessing. Don't settle for anything less than his blessing. The world's going to offer you all kinds of stuff. It ain't the full package. It isn't real. It isn't substantial. It isn't the full of what God has intended. Don't settle for less. And don't settle for something else than being the blessing that He's called you to be. Don't settle for something else. I don't know what that means in your life. I know some of what that means in my life. It might... I don't know what it will require of us other than I know this, it will require faith. Which is substantial and seeing and stepping. So you're going to have to take some steps. Primarily internal steps. The primarily internal steps. You know, sometimes people think, oh man, i got to change all the, you know... You can rearrange the deck chairs in the Titanic and it's still going to go down, all right? You can rearrange all kinds of stuff in your life. People think, people think that that's the answer. Okay, then I just got to change this up, that up, whatever. Got to get out of this job. I got to get out of this school. I got to get out of this, whatever. I got to get out of that, whatever. I don't think that's the get out. It's, it's, it's a mindset getting out that you need to do here that may result in some changes in the externals, but but the external, that's the, that's down the way. It's the internal stuff that he wants to change right now. And it begins, the first step begins with relationship with the living God. You've heard an invitation twice this morning. Now you're going to hear it for a third time. Today is the day of salvation. If you've not stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, no better day than right now to receive him to, to come to God and believe that he's there and trust in the promise of the cross it is an empty cross it is an empty tomb because Jesus has triumphed over sin and death through his resurrection and he will triumph over that in your life you cannot do it yourself trust me a lot of people have spent years wearing themselves down trying and it doesn't work Come to Him, receive Him. Maybe you've gotten a little bit settled. You said, ah, well, Heron's far enough. I come this far, this is good enough. I'm kind of tired anyway. Might as well just settle right here. I don't need to go further. Word of the Lord to you is get out move out, get up and get going into the fullness of what He has for you and intended for your life. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for else. 
So I'm going to open up this altar. If you'd like to come up this morning for salvation, you met Tom earlier. He and his wife Kathy are right here. They would love to pray for you to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. They'll tell you about that, talk to you about that. They're right here, positioned to, to receive in prayer with you. If you just sense that something the Lord is, you just, I want to start doing deeds of dare and do. So if you want to come and join me in that and you just feel like God's just prompting you today just to come take a step. There's nothing magical about the altar, but sometimes taking a step just physically helps engage your heart. So if you just need to take a step, this altar's open. You can come and pray here. You can kneel, stand, lay down, whatever you want to do. And I'm going to ask uh, elders and, and, and prayer folks to be ready to come and pray with folks. If, if you sense God calling you to pray with somebody, come do that. And then, in just a little bit, lunch at our house. So, um, you know, again, Annette will be heading out shortly. Please, we would love to have you come. This is not, you know, we're not going to sign you up for anything. All right? This is just eating good food and hanging out with us and uh, having a good time with some other new folks and one of our life groups that's uh, Ken and Coffee's making food for us. It's going to be a great time. So just come join us. They're cooking really good food. I know that. So, um, yeah, can we stand up here? And uh, this song's been stirring in my spirit all week long. It's called In the Secret Place. And uh, when you get to the chorus part, go to the chorus. It says, I want to know you, I want to hear your voice, I want to touch you, I want to see your face, I want to know you more. That's that, that, that part, go to the second verse. Second verse, I'm reaching for the highest goal that I might receive the prize. I'm pressing onward, pushing every hindrance aside, out of my way, because I want to know you more. There's, there's something about this song, the passion of wanting to know him more, that just grabs my spirit today. And it's a response to the word that I've preached. So we're going to sing this through from the top. Go ahead to the first verse. And um, I'm going to open up the altar. And then after that, I'll give a prayer benediction. And you can go if you need to go. But before that, if you stay in here and just respond to the voice of the Lord today, you are welcome. This altar is open. Come. Here we go. In the secret. In the quiet. Just open your hands if you would. Jesus, you hear the cry of our heart this morning. Jesus, we want to know you more. We want to hear your voice. We want to touch you. We want to go with you where you're taking us. Lord Jesus, we don't want to settle for anything less or else than your purposes, your calling, your destiny, your dream. God, come, take us deeper into the fullness of who you are. Into the deeper, Lord God, into trusting in you and leaning into you, believing you, God to be children of Abraham. Now with open hands, I pray that you might be filled afresh today with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours. Sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of His grace and goodness flowing over your lives. Until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God. In the name of the Lord, may His goodness chase you down. For His glory, for His praise alone, for His honor. In Jesus' name, amen.